Hey, friends, welcome to the inaugural podcast of um, Which Way is Up? Which Way is Up is a focus that we're going to do here at Treach for the month of May in which we own and, yes, even publicly talk about the stuff that we all carry around in our life. You can call it mental wellness, mental illness, mental, you can call it anything you want, but what we're going to do is tell the truth, that we all have stuff. And um, it is divided up into a couple of weeks. Today, we are going to talk about depression. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about um, worry, stress, and anxiety. Not, I don't know who has that. Do you know anybody with that? <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about burnout. We're going to talk about isolation and loneliness and how it all comes together to make us who we are. And that even in the midst of all that, man, we are great people. We are made perfectly in the eyes of God, and all of that stuff can coexist. So, there you go. I'll say more at the very end. But today, um, we're going to get started with what I hope are two brand new friends in my life. And I'm going to say a little bit about them. Uh, there will be a longer bio in which uh, Alyssa shares some of the deep, dark secrets of their life. Uh, even stuff we might make up. One of my new <laughs> friends is Sean. Sean is 27, lives here in Dallas, is at Barber School, is sporting just the coolest to do. <laughs> Thank you. And... Um, I can't wait to talk about art because art for me is also a release. Yeah. I find that very therapeutic. And uh, I don't know what I'm doing, but I love to smear paint on canvases. Most so. of the time, neither do I, so it's fine. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jennifer is with us. I'm going to probably call her Jen most of the time, but she is almost that she's at this fine line between leaving the world of uh, practicing law for 20 something years and crossing over this river into ministry is uh, graduating from Perkins School of Theology finishing up her internship she's jumped through all these great big hoops that the United Methodist Church puts up in front of her walking over fire you name it she's had to do it <laughs> uh, with the support of her son and puppy dog scout and we are just thank you for your gift of time Justin, my other, our new friend, is also with us. And Justin has just the coolest beard, plus a uh, collection of life stories and experiences in ministry uh, with um, underserved populations in Kentucky and here in Dallas. Is He and his wife direct diapers, etc., the largest diaper distributor uh, through those in need. I was going to say nonprofits, but it's beyond that. It's actually to... Heinies. Yeah. People who need diapers. Directly, yeah. direct service. Direct service. There you go. He also uh, is a really smart guy. He's working on his PhD, and I'm trying really hard to not let that intimidate me because <laughs> I, don't, I don't usually use big words. But we all have a story. We all have a story about depression, and we're going to share those, and hopefully we will unlock some doors that will help you hear and identify what might be a part of, of your story. So with that said, Justin, what... Um, Give us a little framework. So when, uh, maybe how old were you when you said depression for the first time? Or when did you realize, you know, this isn't just a sucky day or a bad day? Yeah, so for most of my childhood, I dealt with depression. Um, I didn't recognize it as such until I was 13. At 13, I was hospitalized for suicidal ideation and spent a couple weeks um, on a psych ward there um, doing intensive therapy, finally got on meds and spent most of my teen years um, on meds and was pretty stable. Um, and then I made the poor choice 
to start doing a PhD. And for anybody who doesn't know, that can be quite triggering um, mm. if, if you already have mental illness, especially. And so about three and a half years ago, I fell into a really, really deep spiral um, that I thankfully, because of what had happened to me when I was 13, I recognized that immediately and immediately sought help and was able to start getting therapy and all of that. But it, it's been a, it's been a rough three years after many years of more or less being stable with the medications that I was on. But yeah, 13 was when, when it hit me when, you know, when, when you have to go to the hospital and spend a couple weeks there, yeah. um, cause you feel like killing yourself. Um, then that kind of opens your eyes that, that you've got some stuff to deal with. And, and I've been dealing with it since and, some unhealthy ways that we'll probably talk about. And then in more recent years, thankfully, I've, I've been, uh, have had access, which is a huge issue around mental health. It needs to be noted. I've had the fortunate experience to have access to good care. Oh, um, yeah, it makes a world of difference. And, and so I haven't had to turn to self-medicating and stuff that other folks who don't have access to good mental health care yeah. often do in, in alcohol or illicit drugs or whatever else. And I've been able to continue to get good treatment. So good. Sean, Jennifer, did y'all, um, I'm just curious cause I think that, um, our entry into uh, a diagnosis usually came after we had a moment, right? What, what when, when did y'all have that awakening or did somebody else have it for you? Was it a, a traumatic event or a, you know, somebody said, gosh, you're always in a fun. I mean, what started that, Jennifer, for you? For me, I was a young lawyer. And so I was in my 20s. I had graduated from law school and I was in my first full-time job, which was practicing law. That should never be anyone's first full-time job, but that's really neither here. That's a different podcast. Neither really. should being a pastor. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, oh <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I was practicing law, and I needed to go to a conference in Philadelphia and refused to get on the airplane because I was so terrified of flying. And I had had a crippling fear of flying that just got worse and worse, which for normal people, that keeps you from going on vacation. As a litigator, that keeps you from practicing law. Um, and so that was a problem. And it was clearly the plane's fault. I mean, there was nothing wrong with me, obviously, <laughs> right? Obviously. And so, um, and so I went and saw a counselor. And the counselor sent me to a psychiatrist, which was terrifying to me. And um, because I'd never, I didn't, not only had I never been to a psychiatrist, I didn't really fully know what they did, and I didn't know anyone who had been to one before. But I went and saw him, and he pretty clearly realized that it probably wasn't an airline problem, that it might have had something going on with me. And so in the first session, while we were talking, he asked very pointed questions that now are very funny to me because I realize how clear it was you know that there was a lot of depression and anxiety which are two sides of the same coin going that I had going on and had had for my whole life growing up and just never knew what it was when I was a kid I just had no idea I didn't have a framework for understanding that and so um but he knew and so he started asking very pointed questions and said um was asking me about you know 
my functioning every day, my executive functioning? Do I get out of bed? Am I tired all the time? Am I able to get things done? Do I have enjoyment in life? And then started asking other interesting questions like, do you count things? I was like, what are you talking? Do I? Yes, I, you know, I mean, we all, don't we all count things? He was like, how many ceiling tiles are in this room? I was like, well, 16, but there's four here. And if you count that, he was like, count things, you know, (laughs) what I was saying and diagnosed me with OCD and with depression and anxiety, all of which I think are of a piece. Mm -hmm. And it was then that I started unpacking that maybe the crying jags I was happening weren't exactly healthy and were not things that other people were experiencing, that maybe all of my challenges in getting work done every day and my challenges in relationships and things like that, that perhaps all of those were related and I just hadn't seen that before. So that was really the first time that I started to put it together. That's a great word for it. When we start kind of piecing it together, Sean, how old were you when, I mean, you, I I know you said that this has been an identified struggle Mm -hmm. journey for the last couple of years. Do you have remembrances as a, a, a child growing up when the pieces didn't all just fit together? Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely growing up as a closeted kid in a conservative country town <laughs> in Texas definitely didn't help. And that's probably the root of a lot of my issues. Not that my family was never um, accepting because they totally were, but, you know, no one wants their kid to be gay. So, you know, this is always like that. But I didn't even start realizing it until probably about two or three years ago. I lost my dog, my grandfather, and then I had a really bad breakup. And kind of all those things kind of just pushed together and it I wasn't able to do work. I wasn't able, didn't want to get out of bed. And then everything started happening. I finally started getting help, got on medication. Um, medication didn't quite help me the way I would liked it to. So I kind of got off of it and kind of started this weird own journey of myself. But it's definitely been been something. Yeah. But it's it's still I'm still like identifying certain things about myself and like my di- diagnosis yeah well and and welcome to the journey <laughs> yeah, thanks right. you're um, glad to be here <laughs> you're, you're in good company yeah and you will be on this journey the rest of your life yes uh and i say that because uh, i'm curious I, I, when i started i uh was very reluctant to name it then once i named it i was reluctant to take medication and i uh use the thought of the medication kind of like uh, antibiotics mm-hmm. like i will take a course of this and i will feel better and then i won't need this anymore mm. did any of y'all do that did any of you kind of go in or out yeah absolutely yeah. tell me about it well i kind of been on and off medication for years and what they've determined is i have what they call treatment resistant depression meaning that many meds don't affect me the way that they should. And so I've recently started another treatment called transmagnetic cranial stimulation where they put magnets on your head and and it helps um, reinvigorate neural pathways um, that release serotonin and norepinephrine and and other chemicals in your brain that help make you happy. Um, But yeah, it's been just kind of up and down through all of this and and trying, I, I, I haven't tried anything illegal, but I've definitely tried a variety of other um, substances, um, thankfully in consultation with my psychiatrist. Um, But yeah, landing on something, it still hasn't found that right fit to really kind of 
lift me up to where I might feel what somebody would say is normal. Right. You know, whatever normal is. Like, just remembering there were times in my life when I was happy. And now I'm like, eh, most of the time, which is better than laying in my bed curled up in a ball crying. But, you know, I go to my kid's soccer game and, and I... I should be really enjoying that, watching my kids having fun, and I'm just kind of sitting there mostly thinking, you know, being anxious about what we're going to cook for dinner or just even little stuff that doesn't matter that much, but it takes my focus off being in the moment and enjoying what's happening right then and there. Do you ever find yourselves thinking about, like, and I love that story about, like, like, like I don't, I think I've had to totally redefine what happy is. Like, I, I don't know what happy is really for anybody else. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I think maybe sometimes I make up happy based on uh, movies. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, okay, that's happy. I'm supposed to be singing and dancing and doing a musical number right now mm-hmm. as I skip to work or whatever. You're not supposed to do that? Well. <laughs> <laughs> you can. <laughs> Weekends. That's what the weekend is oh, for. Okay. Big musical number, Saturday. Gotcha, gotcha. So, what, what's kind of your, like... Have y'all developed any kind of self-check? Like, okay, right now I'm feeling whatever, fill in the blank, and and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, what's what's your awareness meter? Have y'all begun to kind of play with that some? Yes. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I've always tried to uh, pride myself in is my self-awareness. Is I always try to – I never want to offend anyone. I always want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. And um, – Definitely, there's always, I feel like there's a stigma that comes with depression and anxiety. And that's one thing that really kept me from, I don't want to say self-diagnosing, but like looking at myself and seeing what was wrong with me. Because, <clears throat> I mean, growing, going to high school, you know, people, depression, anxiety, get bullied. I was already bullied for many other things. I didn't want to like focus in on anything else. I didn't want to bring any more attention to myself. But, and then going up into the, you know, my adult life, I see people at work, people I'm in school with, my family, my friends, all struggling with it. I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I so afraid to let go, ask for help, and just see what happens? Sean, you said something that I think I would really like us to do. Maybe I'll take a moment and, and reflect on um, the phrase stigma, shame, and what's wrong with me. Um, did you feel, as you began to identify, or others did, somehow less than mm. that there I just think the phrase something's wrong with me uh, is an invitation to, to to lower my status in just my understanding of the universe I'm broken I'm less than we were talking earlier um, about shame and how there is an invitation whether it's from inside us or the universe to accompany that less than with shame Anybody want to share a story of that and maybe how you've pushed through that or even today, you know, carry a little piece of that in your back pocket? Coming from a different background and as a almost former lawyer, one of the most helpful things for me was at first when I started dealing with it as a young lawyer, I just knew that I was so overwhelmed by myself, by so much of what was going on with me that I didn't fully understand, that I just wasn't happy and didn't understand what was happening, that 
I didn't really feel shame as much as confusion as mm. to, you know, why am I having these crying jags? Why can't I sleep normally? Like all these unanswered questions. And so once I actually got a diagnosis, it was freeing for me because I was able to actually name it. And it was something that I could actually deal with. Um, so that was very helpful. And honestly, I was terrified to go to a psychiatrist because I was afraid that I was going to be involuntarily committed, that he was mm. going to say, you're crazy. You need to be committed. And now I realize that if being worried that you're crazy is probably the best evidence that you're actually not. Because if you were, you wouldn't, <laughs> li you literally would never yeah. think that. That would not be the thought process mm. going through your head. So... I'm glad that I did, that I pushed past those fears and saw him. And then really, and he was very approachable and just a great person. So that was very helpful. But also I ended up, strangely enough, in conversations with other lawyers. And we had very frank conversations with each other, with other lawy experienced lawyers who also had anxiety and depression and were taking medication for it and were seeing regular therapists because they had either tried to self-medicate or had not tried to self-medicate and had nearly exploded their careers, had nearly destroyed their relationships in very spectacular ways through affairs, through overspending, through all sorts of things, through sex addiction, through... I mean, there's all kinds of ways that all these things, if untreated, can manifest in very unhealthy ways in people's lives. And so they brought themselves back from the brink of that went to regular therapy, took medication, and are much healthier as a result, have a much better quality of life, and are able to have very demanding jobs. Being a pastor is demanding, but being a litigator for a national client where you're flying around the country trying cases all day, that's no joke. I mean, like, I was doing that for a while. It's great, but it's very demanding. And being able to do that while managing anxiety and depression is is interesting. And so talking to my friends very frankly about that and very openly, people who you would never suspect, if you've just met them, you'd never in 10 million years suspect that they tried to commit suicide. I had law partners of mine who tried to commit suicide in their offices. I mean, this is a really serious issue. And so it led to a lot of very frank, open discussions. And I personally think that that's the biggest antidote to shame is vulnerability yes. and openness and honesty mm -hmm. and let's talk about it and let's name it and be honest with that and some of my closest friends are people who have done that with me and brought me into that conversation and have listened to me when I had things to say about the same topic definitely there was the the shame aspect when I was in high school um and and my experience was different. I was an athlete. I was, I won't say I was popular, but you know, I was enough with the in crowd and whatever, but I, I, I don't think I ever let anyone know that I was going to counseling and that I was taking meds and that, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and, and I also had some OD, OCD tendencies. I remember I would sit on the, the, the bench sometimes when I was playing basketball and there was this prayer I just felt I had to pray over and over again, or I felt like somebody, you know, uh, something bad was going to happen to somebody I loved. But when I went through this this most recent um, big episode, I decided 
from day one of that, that this was not going to be shameful, that I was going to be open about it. And, and other folks, um, one of the pastors here, Nick has, has seen my Facebook thread. I talk about this constantly. Um, and I just decided this is not significantly different than having cancer or heart disease or whatever other thing it might be. Um, except that the human brain's way more complicated. And so there's a lot of confusion around it, but I decided I'm just going to, every step of my journey, good and bad, I'm going to document so that other people who feel shame can see that I'm refusing that now. And, and I haven't felt shame really in the last three years in the way that I had prior, partly because like I said, I just made that decision up front that, I was going to be as honest as I could about this. I couldn't agree more. I think we're all amen in that. You know, I think uh, no occupation or vocation is immune. (laughs) And if we could all be a part of of a, you know, I kind of have this visual of bridge, building a bridge built on honesty, you know, over all the crap. We get over to this, the new land and it's like, oh my God, it is so cool over here. (laughs) I wish everybody would come across the honesty bridge. You know, Sean, I'm kind of imagining, and a lot of this is stereotypical, Mm -hmm. you're going to be a barber. Is that the correct title? Yeah. Okay. And so, uh, like, maybe you can facilitate honest conversations while you're cutting people's hair. Oh, yeah, definitely. Have you imagined some of that looking forward? Oh, yeah, that's honestly one of the things I'm, like, most excited about, about being a barber. I, I just, I love people which is why this coronavirus has sucked for me. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. I, I feed off people. I feed off their energies. Mm-hmm. I love meeting new people. It's just what I do. And so being able to like meet someone new every single day, get to know their story, get to know them. I'm almost an unlicensed therapist as like my instructors say. Yes. I mean, people literally come to their barbers or their hairstylists just to talk and event. And sometimes the barbers and stylists don't even have to say a thing they just <laughs> people just want event so i'm i really am looking forward to that because as much as i like to give advice i mean I, don't, I like to give advice i don't ever take my own advice but i'm really good <laughs> at giving it so it's great yeah no, that could be like part of your uh you know sean come out looking good feeling good yeah you know. exactly look good feel good there you so, go i think it's, it's a commendable career that pastors really could learn a lot from barbers and bartenders mm-hmm. <laughs> i think are the two professions yeah that pastors need to study to see how do we listen well to well that's it right there because we don't we people's lives. Few of us shut up. i mean we we listen to respond not listen to 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 uh digest mm-hmm. right yeah mm-hmm. so let's take a little turn on this and, and uh i'm curious what does a good day look like now you know i think we've all been through the trenches and and what does a day look like that uh, you know, I call it an eighty percent day. Like, yeah, this is good. This is pretty good. What, what might, what? How can you verbalize yours into a way that that gives somebody who's having like a twenty percent day some hope? Do you know it the minute you wake up, or does it kind of come after two cups of coffee? Or mine's probably about midday. Yeah, yeah I'm too groggy in the morning. <laughs> I'm too focused on getting ready, getting getting to school, but. Um, Usually, yeah, usually midday, as soon as lunch hits is usually when I can tell, like, okay, it's going to be a successful day or it's been successful so far. It's, let's keep this up. I've, I've noticed I've been in a good mood all morning. Let's make sure I do everything I can to, to keep that good mood going and don't let anything kind of mess with me in any way. Have any of y'all learned like kind of a self-awareness 
that when it's not going well, like a best practice, like, okay, uh, this is going, this is on the bubble. I need to <laughs> do this. Is there a best practice you've employed? My therapist, done, I go to therapy once a week and, um, one of the best things that happened to me was when my therapist actually moved to North Carolina. I was really upset, but he was like, well, we could go virtual and then the pandemic hit. And then I was glad that he moved to North Carolina. <laughs> that worked out really well for me. So we meet over, you know, sort of a zoom type interface once a week. And what he told me was, you know, he recommended if you're really struggling one day, whether it's either anxiety or depression or whatever it is that he said, since you're at home, walk outside, get up if you can, as soon as you can. I mean, don't hang up on people if you're in the middle of a call, but you know, <laughs> finish the call, hang up and get up and walk outside yep. and go outside and get some exercise for as long as you reasonably can, especially living in Dallas. We're really fortunate with a really temperate climate. Most of the year, we have really good weather with abundant sunshine. And so I really do that. And I find on the days when I least want to go outside, that's when I most need to do it. And I need to just kind of kick myself in the pants and say, all right, it's time to go do this. And, um, and just walking around and, you know, popping in my my AirPods and going outside, even if it's only 20 minutes, it doesn't have to be a large commitment, but after about 10 or 15, I can already start to feel mm -hmm. it kicking mm -hmm. in Absolutely. and I already start to feel a lot better. Isn't it funny that thing we most least want to do is sometimes a signal of the thing we most need to do. Yep. Does that work for you? Yeah, I do the, the same thing um, because doing what I do, I spend most of my day at a computer right now. Um, thankfully I'm done with writing, I defend after, by the time this comes out, hopefully I will have successfully defend it. But that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years is just sitting, reading, and writing. And when I feel those moments coming on that are intense, I, I put some shoes on and I just go for a little walk around the block and look at the trees and try to, I have a, like a lot of folks with anxiety and depression, we tend to either live in the past or we tend to live in the future or look. Uh, and so that helps a little bit when I, can center on that moment, just recognizing the leaves moving, listening to birds, the sound of my feet walking, just whatever it is to be right in that moment. And then otherwise for me, a big thing is I have found, and this is just what's been necessary for me is I kind of live from medication dose to medication dose. So I, um, I take, uh, Adderall cause I've also been diagnosed with ADD recently. Um, gabapentin and Xanax kind of throughout the day and I know when my scheduled times are and so sometimes I'm like an hour away from that and I'm like okay I can make it for another hour until sure. till I get that and you know that's the ultimate goal is not to live like that but I know that's what I need to do for now and it's getting me through while I'm finding other avenues of help and and I'm okay with that um, and like you said, it's mostly 80%. I'm, I'm not, you know, living on a high or as happy as I've been at other times in my life. But when it becomes, when it moves from being intolerable to tolerable, to me feels like a massive shift. It's still annoying. It's still frustrating. But knowing that I have the right things in place to be able to go from being in a really bad place to being in an okay place 
really has made a, a big difference for me. I make up that it helps us all not get, uh, not feed our anxiety monster. Like it, when we have that moment, for me, when I began to learn, I have the tools I need either inside me or within reach, phone, uh, computer, or whatever. And so it was a matter of, um, you know, do what you've been trained to do. You're having a bad day. Don't go eat a, blue, a gallon of Bluebell. <laughs> go but for a half a, a gallon, maybe. Maybe a, a quart. I'm just saying, you like, know, it's I'm a sliding scale. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> I'll eat my pint of ice cream while I take my walk. Is that <laughs> where? You know what? That's, That's good. good. I like that. I'm multitasking. I used to use it, and I, we have all self-medicated in different ways, right? Mm-hmm. And mine was definitely, uh, food was my altered state, you know, uh, whose fault that was growing up, who knows. But, you know, if you feel bad, eat. Mm-hmm. If you feel happy, eat. eat. If it's raining, eat. eat. Yeah. If you made a good grade, eat. If you made a bad grade, eat. Right? Um, so I'm curious now, is there any kind of... Um, here we are in a church, you know, spiritual practice that helps you breathe better, think clearer, get t- in touch with, you know, a higher power that is help. It's been helpful to me when I actually took interfaith studies at Perkins. We were required to go to the Maria Cannon Zen Center at, at my uh, home White church. Rock. Yes, at White Rock United Methodist Church, which is in my neighborhood. And so we went there and did a Zen meditation session, which I had always associated Zen practices with Buddhism, which is fine. I just don't happen to be Buddhist. And so, um, but Dr. Abito, who taught our class, sort of, you know, introduced to us the idea that you don't have to be Buddhist to participate in those types of contemplative activities and that you can actually see that as a contemplative prayer practice, which made more sense to me. I grew up Roman Catholic, so contemplative prayer does intuitively Mm -hmm. make some sense to me. So I have found, especially as a big Enneagram 3, that it's helpful for me to stop, to not have a to-do list, to not have all my stuff to do, and to start my day with simple prayers to God and in quiet and to just sort of power down. Sometimes I use the Calm app on my phone for a guided meditation, but if I can spend 10, 15 minutes in the morning with God in silence, just being quiet, Mm. that is very helpful and centering for me. It helps with depression and anxiety, and it also helps me to experience God in a different way that I don't that's different from the way I experience God in worship or in more active prayer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think um, the braver any of us can become in realizing that God doesn't just live with that church address. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think we do a disservice to God when we lock God in the church. I agree. That's, an, that's another podcast for another day. <laughs> um, so this has been more fun. And I could just spend the rest of the day with us talking. But I do wonder, like, if you had one last little nugget to say to somebody who is going to watch this and go, oh, man, I wish I had learned this 10 years ago. What, what's the next right thing for somebody today who is saying they're speaking my language, they're speaking to me, I've been in his shoes or her shoes? What would you do? What, what little would you give? For me, it's just just like let, it, like let go. 
just like it's okay to have to need help to just want some help it's I for me a person who I don't care what people think about me but the way I look I'm I wear makeup I wear wigs like I wear heels obviously don't care what people think why is this one extra thing what does that what does this matter what makes me being gay different than me having depression anxiety what makes me having purple and hair different from having depression anxiety so for me it was just letting go and just realizing I mean I maybe it was a, a mental trick I had to do to myself that I didn't know I was doing maybe when I was sleeping or something but like <laughs> it was just one day I just had to wake up and be like why the f do I care what people think like mm-hmm. this just get help mm-hmm. it, why yeah. help why hurt myself in the long run or the people around me because it's gonna hurt them worse in the end honestly I feel so yeah good for you yeah that's a, a, a self-care moment yeah yeah <laughs> Jennifer what do you what, what would, what would I would you? say if someone is listening to this and is sort of or watching and is thinking about this but has not, you know, is concerned about whether or not they might be depressed or anxious or something like that, particularly if they're scared about addressing that, having been on the other side and being in a much, much healthier place than I used to be, I can definitely say that it's much scarier not to seek treatment than it is to seek treatment. Mm-hmm. And that once you actually start talking to a mental health professional, it's the easiest, most comforting thing in the world. It mm-hmm. really is. Yeah. And you're not required to stay. If it doesn't work, do something else. You know, I mean, you're not making a lifelong commitment. You're trying something new. And if that is not comfortable to you, if you're listening to this, it's probably because you go to Treach and you have pastors here and you could talk to them confidentially and say, I'm concerned about this. What do you think? And talk to them and see what they have to say. That's not, that's also low commitment and not scary. You talk to them anyway. Why not talk to them? And I think that those are good entry points for entering into that discussion if that's something that interests you. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of um, kind of the mindset that you're modeling there is just uh, addiction recovery, 12-step, you know, just first step, (laughs) you know. The first step is not, you know, you're not eating the whole elephant, right? You're just getting your, you know, knife and fork ready. Let's just sit down and say, uh, hey, this is going on. It's amazing to me how, now that I'm on the other side of the bridge, how that is uh, paralyzing to people, though. And maybe we can give you some uh, courage. Uh, any of us would have it, who have it, would say, here, have some of my courage, mm-hmm. right? Today, I, I have plenty now, and, and I'll share it with you. Uh, Justin, what would you say? What's your last bit of like, mm, go do this today? Um, advocate for yourself because it can be a struggle as you're trying to figure out different medications and treatments, and there's a lot of options. And like I said, the human brain is something that is – still baffling to to medical professionals and so you know you might try one treatment or one therapist and it doesn't work and you need to to advocate okay this isn't working what else can we try and and then if you are able if you're in a position to have someone else in your life who can also be an advocate in those moments where it's difficult to advocate for yourself try to try to bring at least one person in who can regularly also be an advocate for you at the times when you're struggling to do that. Um, and so for me, I've been thankful. I've had a few, a couple of my professors and, and my wife have really stepped in. And when I haven't been able to say, I need to try something new, this isn't working, they've noticed that in me. And they've either pushed me to do that or on my behalf 
they've gone and, and sought out other treatments for me and stuff. So I think advocating for yourself is just huge because it's easy in, in our very broken healthcare system to kind of be bounced around and, and some, just like in any profession, some medical health, you know, mental health care professionals aren't good at their job. <laughs> and, and that's the reality. So you, you know, you might step in and your first therapist or psychiatrist isn't helpful to you at all. I had an experience like that. And so I politely told that person, I don't think you're going to be helpful for me. I need to see somebody else. And I ended up with somebody else now who's fantastic and who's, who's helped me a great deal. So yeah, advocate for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, um, I think we go into this land of unknown. So we're kind of uh, operating uh, without all the knowledge we need. So once you start gathering knowledge, like I, I remember when I first started looking for a therapist, I was just overwhelmed. Kind of like uh, I, I looked at it like buying a car. Like I don't even know. I just want a car with a good stereo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how do I even pick a good therapist? And to know that you could uh, have an interview with a therapist and see if there's a good connection. You can also fire your therapist. Mm-hmm. You can also say, hey, you know what? I, what we're doing isn't working. I think I always felt so less than that I had, I had just given all my power away. And just because you are on a depression journey doesn't mean you have to give any of that away. Yep. Right? Well, guys, this has been just life-giving. And I hope you have found it life-giving as well. Yeah. Uh, folks who are watching this, um, I'm going to make a promise on all these folks' behalf that they'll follow up with you. Absolutely. If there is somebody here that story chimes with your story, uh, call me or Alyssa. I don't know that we're going to put your email address just like on the whole World Wide Web, but Go maybe we it. are. I don't know. That's fine with me. Alyssa Practically will help us is. figure that out. <laughs> maybe, maybe on their bio or something. Um, because that, that, that same truth is that all of us don't have the same story you have. Mm-hmm. And uh, aren't we glad? <laughs> How boring a world would it be if everybody was like me? No, I mean, it's just, we got, some of us have to have purple hair. Uh, some so, of us have to have no hair. It's or okay. no hair. <laughs> really? Some of us have all of it on our chin, you know? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if you, did you, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I noticed you're covering your head. Do you have hair on your head? Uh, yeah, I just don't shower as much as I should. Oh, okay. Well, that's a, that's another podcast. That's, 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 that's also part of depression sometimes, yeah, for what it's worth. Self-care comes in all sorts of ways, yes. my brother. All right. So, um, wrap up. Which way is up is a reality that um, we asked that question. But here's some exciting news. Many of us have begun to experience ways to find which way is up. And if up is hope, then, then let's grab a hold of it, right? Sometimes... I look up going, what the hell? But mm-hmm. hope can also be uh, an image for uh, forward thinking and excited thinking and opportunity. And if today has been for you an opportunity to, to go, you know, take the next step, great. Um, throughout the month of May, every Sunday there's going to be uh, a worship emphasis. Then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday there are going to be podcasts uh, deep dive interviews with you guys and others. There's going to be actual like um, sensory experiences of uh, how you might help yourself. There's going to be resources. Uh, you know, I, I think it's exciting. I can't even tell you all the fun things we're going to do. We're going to have classes on Thursday night about, you know, what in the world does the Bible say about depression? Does the Bible say anything? And stuff people have said in the past, maybe that's a bunch of bunk. And, and just ask hard, deep probing questions. And hopefully 
tell the truth. So, anyway, we hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, I don't know what you say to sign off. Uh, come back soon. See you soon. Have a great day. Kick it up. Peace out. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.